Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. First and goal, Vikings. Feeling in motion. Dalvin Cook, forward, and in for a Viking touchdown. Fake to Madison. Cousins fires for the end zone. There's a flag down, but the catch is made, and it's Adam Thielen for a Viking touchdown. Cousins hoping to do that from the pocket and open. Justin Jefferson inside the 30 of the Texans. We had great field position all game long, too, which was, was a huge positive. I think the field position is kind of an underrated aspect of having a good day offensively, and I felt like we were you know, rarely backed up, and if at all, and that enabled us to be able to you know, get into field goal range quickly. So that was certainly a, a big couple of series to be able to to uh, pull away a little bit. Well, okay, one quick nitpick. One, one, one. <laughs> already, hey, you're starting started. already. We're barely, okay. We haven't started who, the show yet. Who is saying that field position like isn't critical and important to scoring points? I love what Kirk, like Kirk's discovery was like. You know, a lot of people think field. They don't think about field position when it comes to scoring points. Yes, they do all the time. <laughs> Have you played the game? Have you played the game at I the professional did level? In fifth did grade. you play it in the National Football League? I don't think you know anything about field position like me and my buddy Kirk. No. But Kirk was uh, Kirk made some big boy throws yesterday. Bill O'Brien made some boneheaded buffoon calls. Buffoonery. And we will get into our pie chart of praise for the first Vikings victory of the season. Had to get to October to, yeah, to make yeah. it happen. Keep, keep but. that clap going. So uh, we'll do that. Also, Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler had an all-time finals performance last night. Do we miss him? Were we wrong about him? We'll talk about that after a quick shout-out to Federated. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. You know, Federated, in support of local health care facilities and workers, they donated 18,000 N95 respirator masks to Owatonna Hospital and several outdoor blue lights for the Owatonna Clinic building Federated insurance employees are donating their time, talent, and financial resources to help our communities. Team members have produced masks and face shields for healthcare workers and first responders and caregivers. And it just shows Federated insurance is always putting community first. To find out more about Federated, how they can help your business, go to federatedinsurance.com. At Federated, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Let me say this first. You know, I, I, I told Coobs during the game, I said, go ahead and be aggressive here. Don't don't worry about throwing the football. You know, they were lo- trying to load up on us to stop the run. And I said, don't be afraid to throw the ball. But I thought, you know, Kirk made some great throws. Um, and he and he got some help from uh, Jefferson and, and, you know, Thielen was wide open on a couple of them. But um, uh, Jefferson made a, a couple tough catches. And, and I think Rudolph, I didn't see the catch that Rudolph made, but I know there was a lot of guys around him. Coops. Much different tone from the head coach wow. compared to the chaos and disaster so, that he talked about last week. So hold on a second. I'd like to get this straight. When things don't go well, it's chaos, disaster, and basically them. You get the W. It's, I told Coobs, 
Don't be afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid, baby. We're all in this together, man. <laughs> Listen, I, I gave Coobs a couple nuggets from my knowledge bag. Yep. A little kumbaya Coobs. between the, with Coobs and Zimmy Zim and Kirky Kirk. Coobs. It's all one big happy family. God. It's like full house, baby. <laughs> that's a, what a great That's one of my favorite early 90s, late uh. 80s. Some great sitcoms. What do you mean? Ah. Great song. It's so yeah. The, the, the theme song. Theme really song. Good. I will say that the theme song is really good. It, I always hated the cheesy like full circle moments at the end of each episode on like, some <laughs> life. Well, you live for that? I, I hated that crap. <laughs> what do you mean? The li- it's Danny Tanner giving life lessons. Uh, oh, no. way to go, Declan. You no know, girls. You're off the show. You're gonna have moments in life where things like this happen, where the dog gets <laughs> loose in downtown San Francisco, and we'll find the dog because. There, there's a half hour to find the dog, so we'll find the dog. Can I say this about sitcoms quickly? The only bad thing... Should we do sitcom event like Well, hold on a second. Because Dex brought up... Because I'm not a full house guy, but the song was great. I, will, I agree. Um, Seinfeld. One of the great sitcoms of all time. The only bad thing is, I think if you go back and trace this, I believe Seinfeld was the decline of the show theme song. I think it's the first one, yeah, where they just did a. They basically them, though, just like so. I know, but don't didn't you love the good theme song? I did. Yeah, they put together like these big, elaborate two and a half minute intros to shows, and then I think somebody, some executive, finally came in and is like, uh, "We can either use those two and a half minutes for <laughs> yes. a theme song or for commercials." Uh, yes. Up to you guys. <laughs> Like Family Matters, like I think on Score North Live we did a whole power ranking of the best television theme songs during uh, the first parts of quarantine. Okay, we have to do that on this show do at some again. point. Okay, okay. Sure. I'm but, sorry, but, but let's, let's I got off track. Let's there. segue Football. here. Now on Mackie and John, you wanted better charts that you could see the fine print on the pie chart of praise. You should be singing his praises. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. It's the first pie chart of praise of the Viking season. A dominant at times, but also shaky at the end. Victory over the now 0-4 Houston Texans. Judd Zolga, we'll start with you. Oh, what is your high chart of praise for a Vikings victory? I must go to my notes written on my intibitsy notepad. All right. Yeah, what happened to your larger notepad? Yeah, what happened to the large one? They've got, they've got them out here. Please take it. I've switched it up. I don't want to talk about that. Okay. I've switched it up. Okay, right. Just trying to be more... I'm not going to talk about if Keys intimidated me, pushed me around, and took my notepad. Okay? I feel like you went from the Brad Childress notepad to the Bill Musty. Musgrave notepad here. Okay, I'm going to try to be more efficient. I'm going to do it with, with the notepad over my face so you can't <laughs> see my mouth. All right, I'll start from the bottom and work my way up. Five percent pie chart of praise. I'm actually going to give two five percent pieces in the pie chart of praise. Eric Kendricks, who. On a bad defense is still just great. He broke up that one pass mm-hmm. where Deshaun Watson didn't run, and I don't know why, but it was still a great play. He made a ton of tackles. Like, this guy has gone from playing with a lot of guys who were probably just his peers to being the best guy almost certainly on that defense, and he continues to play well. 5% pie chart of praise. Because I don't feel like I can really praise the defense that much, but I think he deserves some credit. 5% um, praise. Thielen, mm-hmm. eight catches, 114, one, 5% though, which might seem low, but that's because I got a 20% piece for the next guy who is the reason why. And Adam Thielen seems like a great guy, so I don't mean this in a bad way, but I wonder if he is to the point where where at night he gets down on his knees and says a prayer of thank you. He's been blessed with Stefan Diggs and now Justin Jefferson. Again, Thielen deserves credit. He's turned himself into a really good player. I'm not denigrating what he brings. But if he's the sole act, right, 
He's okay. He's good. But he's not great. But, I mean, you go from a transition of Diggs, 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 who's fantastic, to, man, two games. Jefferson's going to be used more to the last two games he's been great. Yeah. So uh, 5% to Thielen. 20% to the aforementioned Justin Jefferson. Four catches, 103 yards. I mean, this guy's tracking to be a star. I know it's two games for the most part. But what do you see where you guys stop and are like, yeah, that's sort of fluky. Like this guy, to me, this guy is tracking to be a star. And the next time he's going to get frustrated is when he realizes Kirk needs to get him the ball more, which Kirk does. Uh, Kirk had a postgame quote yesterday about Jefferson made a great catch. And he said he turned to a teammate and basically said, this guy can play. (laughs) Hold on a second. (laughs) No bleep! Oh, oh, he can that. play. Oh, you, Dane, that he can play? Justin Jefferson, 20%. 20%. So I'm going to be um, halfway through my pie here. This is a very Zolgad pie. Bill O'Brien. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. I can't ignore it. I can't ignore it. It played a huge role. He can't call plays. He can't coach. If DeAndre Hopkins is on that Texans team on Sunday, they win the game. <laughs> Somebody... He traded... To, I, he did everything. It's the hat trick of ineptitude. You know, somebody on our so we do Vikings Vent Line live on the Purple Daily Podcast YouTube page and across Scorner of Social Media. And again, it was great yesterday. We brought fans into the video. And so if you're missing out on it and you're wondering where to go on the radio, uh, youtube.com slash purple daily podcast. And, and one of the commenters, I think it was after we had gotten done with the live portion, one of the commenters after the fact, I was going through them this morning, ripped me up and down for calling Bill O'Brien a moron. Hmm. He's like, you know, you're, I don't know if it was a Texans fan or what, but like, I think you're going to regret that. You know, I don't think you want to be calling, you know, smart football people like Bill O'Brien a moron. Smart. Double I down. am very comfortable. Double down. Very, Double down. Do it again. very comfortable. Do it again. Calling Bill O'Brien a football <laughs> moron. And when we say football moron, like, does Bill O'Brien have a better chance? Does Bill o- is Bill O'Brien a better football mind than like your average Joe Blow high school coach? Of course. This is all when, when we call, when we call like, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins, uh, a below-average quarterback in in key situations. Like, is he better than like a Division two college quarterback? Yes, we're we're talking about within the curve yeah. of NFL coaches. Yeah. And if the curve is Bill Belichick up top, and whatever the bottom is, guys <laughs> like Bill O'Brien are near the moron part of yep. that scale. Okay, I feel very comfortable with that assessment. Good for you. Sorry to hijack. Double down. Oh, no problem. In fact, I'm going to Google right now the phrase over his skis. And I'm going to go, oh, look, it's a picture of Bill O'Brien. <laughs> when you Actually, when you Google Bill O'Brien, yeah. what do you get? The second thing that pops up for autofill is chin. He, <laughs> so I don't know. That's a rabbit hole for another day. The Rock knows how right. you feel about pie. Make fun of someone's physical Speaking appearance. Pie, That's yeah. a glass house. I'm yeah, let's not, let's not do that. <laughs> okay, 50% left. It's all going to one guy. Dalvin Cook. Mm-hmm. So Cook had a career high at 181 yards rushing against the Titans, and Jefferson was great. And I felt, and the Vikings lost, so I felt that that got lost, which is fine because Jefferson that was his breakout Moss-like game. Okay, but there's no denying Dalvin Cook. If this team, if this team is going to win games, and I don't think they're going to win a ton, but I think the ingredients of a Viking victory in 2020 is what possession time. Because if you if you give the offense the Vikings defense consistently, it's going to wear down, and it's not good. Bad combination, right? 
Uh, Cook ties a career high, 27 carries on Sunday, catches a couple passes as well. So we're up near 30 now. 130 yards and two touchdowns, broken tackles. Dalvin Cook is absolutely, I think, I think if there's a starting ingredient to what the Vikings wins, Declan and Phil, are going to be this year, it starts with him. So I go Dalvin Cook, 50% of my pie. Mm-hmm. Bill O'Brien, thank you very much, 20%. Justin Jefferson, 20%. And then a little bitty 5% piece. For the Rock our, knows how you feel about pie. Adam Thielen and Eric Kendricks. That's 100%. All right. I like, uh, I like where you're going there. I'll give you my pie chart of praise for the first Vikings victory. 10% Koobs for putting together a great offensive blueprint in this one. Now, some of this... The reason I'm only getting, giving him 10% is because some some of the Vikings' offensive success is predicated off of things that don't involve the actual game plan. It just kind of involves, like, the dominoes falling the right way and Kirk playing well and this and that. Uh, but I think if you're to drop the perfect Vikings' offensive blueprint in any given week, it's lean on the opponent with the running game and then leverage play action, Kirk Cousins' biggest strength, to hit big plays down the field in the passing game. And when you come out of the gate and you're running the ball and you're using play action to find Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen on the first uh, series, that is a good sign early on. And it feels like there aren't that many blueprints for a Vikings offensive, like, driven victory. Like, this is the one that works. Mm -hmm. If it's get behind and let Kirk Cousins throw the ball 50 times, like, that blueprint doesn't work very often. Uh, You know, even if it's, like, go shotgun five wide and try and take advantage of picking apart a defense, like, that doesn't really work. It's run the ball, play action, and and just kind of keep that balance back and forth. And Kubiak did a good job. Grind, right? Like grind, grind, grind the game, basically. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Yep. Ten uh, percent to Mike Zimmer. <laughs> I mean, let's look at some of the chess pieces he's playing with right now. For God's sakes, Hardy Nickerson's kid was starting at linebacker for the Vikings yesterday. Yep. He's missing an elite pass rusher. He's just suffering injuries all over the place. Not to mention Harrison Smith gets ejected in the first half of that game. Mm-hmm. And so there's just so many different things to overcome. And Mike Zimmer put the chess pieces in the right places for the most part. It got a little bit shaky toward the end. And I'll give credit to Cam Dantzler and Jeff Gladney. There was a couple shaky spots. Gladney got torched on a play down the field for like 40 yards. But overall, according to Pro Football Focus, Jeff Gladney was the second highest rated Vikings defender in that game yesterday. Really? Yep, behind and, behind only oh, Anthony wow. Harris. Anthony Harris was great. Okay. Uh, but Jeff Gladney, uh, it was the, the, the top performers on defense were Anthony Harris, Jeff Gladney, Shamar Steffen, mm. Odenabo, Eric Wilson, and Cam Dantzler were your top six in that one. So that, think about that hodgepodge of rookies and backups and guys that are just being asked. Less to, than ideal. That list, less than ideal, probably. And Mike Zimmer is taking those those sort of, you know, I don't know, faded chess pieces and making them work. And telling Koobs what's what. Koobs. Exactly. Koobs, I you know what, Koobs. just go, Koobs, go <laughs> ahead and do your thing this week. Yeah. Uh, 20% to a guy that I have given the majority of the pie chart of blame to so far this year, Kirk Cousins, made some big-time throws, comfortable in his play-action element, and and there was a couple throws or like that one where he rolled out to his right and was kind of fading away from a pass rusher and threw it up to Kyle Rudolph. Mm-hmm. In the moment, I was yelling, "No, no, 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 no!" Okay, all right, nice catch, awesome, everybody. So Kirk Cousins with some big boy throws in that game. He did what he had to do, and he didn't train wreck the game with bad interceptions like he has a couple times this year. So twenty percent praise to Kirk Cousins. 20% praise to Bill O'Brien being a buffoon. 
especially down the stretch Thank where you. Thank the, you. the Texans you. are clearly gaining momentum and they're waking up and they're realizing, oh my God, we have Deshaun Watson. He can move and he can make plays and throw the ball down the field. And Bill O'Brien steps in and he's like, actually, I know we're down by two scores here in the fourth quarter, but let's hand off to Duke Johnson up the middle nine times. Like, what is he doing? The way that they milked that clock, if they would have gone no huddle offense and full speed ahead against that Vikings defense with no Harrison Smith, mm-hmm. no secondary pass rusher, and just really like really put the screws to that defense and tried to get them winded by going up-tempo. I think they would have won the game. Instead, they huddled on every play. They ran the ball just as often as they threw the ball. And they basically gave themselves no out to to, to, to even like kick a field goal or anything. So, yeah. yeah, he had a terrible day. It was it was a bad sequence there in the second half of Bill O'Brien. But 40% of my pie chart of praise goes to the trio of skill position weapons that the Vikings have in Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, and Justin Jefferson. That is a Ferrari, and any quarterback would be lucky to give the ball to those three guys. Any coach would be lucky to scheme with those as your chess pieces, and I just think there's probably only a short list of teams in the NFL that would even consider not swapping for those three guys. Like I think those are that's one yeah. of the best trios of offensive weapons in the entire NFL. Jefferson and Cook are stars. Thielen's a very nice player, but I mean, fair. Je- Jefferson Jefferson looks like a breakout star. Like I, I, like that, yeah. I think I think they got this one as right as they got Treadwell wrong. Yeah, like watching this guy play, there's no to me. There's nothing I see where I'm like, well, that's going to be adjusted to. And it really, like, you watch Stephon Diggs and everything that Buffalo's doing, and we'll get to some of the things we learned about the NFL on Sunday and. You look at Stefan Diggs just thriving in Buffalo, and it's like, oh, my God. Look at the Vikings let that guy go. Right. But, but Justin Jefferson makes it a lot easier to swallow because well, can you he imagine might it? be as good as Stefan Diggs. Without him? Can yeah. you imagine the feeling right right now of of Diggs' abandonment? Yeah, it would feel terrible. Oh. Yeah. So, oh. so there it is. 10% Kubiak praise, 10% Zimmer praise, 20% Kirk Cousins. 20% buffoon Bill O'Brien and 40% to one of the best trios of weapons in the world. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. Dex. All right. Well, I, I couldn't go 100% Bill O'Brien no matter how badly I truly, <laughs> really wanted to do so. So I'm glad you at least included him. But I'll admit it. I'll, I'll omit Bill O'Brien from this just because he already is a buffoon and I, I don't want to give him any praise for this game. So I'll start with Kirk Cousins. I'm going all offense for this piece of pie. It's an offensive piece of pie. Kirk Cousins gets 20%. Of the praise. It was Kirk's best game of the year. He got sacked a few times. It was kind of still felt like classic Kirk Cousins to a degree, right? The stat line looked good. He had a good day on the box score, but there were still some moments where well, it got a little too close for comfort and he, and he didn't was able to rise up and, and move around. And also, what's up with the three-man rush? Like, is it really just the offensive line is bad, or no. is it your quarterback is such a statue that you can't figure out how to slide around the pocket and do something? I'm happy you brought that up because... Everybody just immediately blames offensive line every time there's a sack of any kind in the NFL. Oh, my God, there's a three-man rush, and it got home. And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes an offensive line train wrecks, and Drew Samia gets forklifted off the line of scrimmage, and like that definitely happens with the Vikings. But that there, there was one, I think it was the, was it the first half? It was one of the, I think it was early in the game, and uh, Kirk Cousins takes that sack, three-man rush, and if you watch that play again, it's much less offensive line getting dominated and much more 
okay, a pass rusher was sort of coming around the edge and Kirk could have literally stepped up anywhere Mm -hmm. or over or left or right. Watch Tom Brady. Watch some of the other immobile, statuesque quarterbacks that really have a great feel in the pocket. And they just, they'd make a step over here. They dodge, they, they, they just kind of sort of sense where they need to go to keep the play alive. And he doesn't do a good job of that. So he actually, Kirk Cousins makes the offensive line look worse in those situations than it really is. And, and he's also, the frustrating thing, and we saw this on the second half, the second half sack he took right before he completed uh, passes to Jefferson and Rudolph was go back. And I think Brock Heward and Jennings both pointed this out on the telecast. He's got throws to make. So he takes the sack because he basically wouldn't pull the trigger on a pass to Jefferson, which would have been a tough pass, but was there. But he's paid to make that pass. So, like, that ball can't not get out. And if you get picked, that's a problem, too. But, like, you don't you don't get, in March, a two-year, $66 million extension, guys. You don't get that to not make that throw. Mm-hmm. So, like, that throw has to be made. It's either picked, incomplete, or caught. But you can't be holding the ball on the ground. That's you, not them. Yep. Okay. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. Before I get into the pie, can Brock Heward also get some praise? Because I loved his commentary yesterday. Mm. I, I thought mostly this commentary crews we've been getting, and rightfully so, when you're zero and three or or one and three, you're going to get the you know the D squad commentary crew. He was awesome. The whole game, he was just savaging both teams, especially in the first quarter. It was hilarious. Yeah, it actually, <laughs> fe- I, this was going to be one of my nitpicks when we get to Vikings nitpicks in a win. Was going to be two thirds of the broadcast crew was pretty bad. Yeah. Like Greg, it almost felt like Greg Jennings, who I I think is good. He's been good as like a talk show analyst when I've seen him yeah. on as a talking head for sure. But it's like he doesn't. He it almost seemed like he didn't prep for the game or something, and he was just kind of out there. You know, once in a while he'd chime in with some like obvious thing. And Brock Heward had clearly been studying these two teams for a week. Yeah, and and started the game off just ripping both teams up and down, which was great. They both deserved it. Yeah, I thought Brock was great. And I also wonder if just the three-man booth plus a sideline person, is just it's not, it's not necessary. It doesn't feel organic at all. a lot of people. Uh, back to the pie, though. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen will get the share, same amount of the piece of pie. I'm going to give 25% to Jefferson and 25% wow. to Adam Thielen. So Adam Thielen obviously had a big day, but yes, you need Justin Jefferson for Adam Thielen to be effective. It's like Hall & Oates, man. You can't just have one of them. <laughs> wow. They need to be together. Yeah, that's a, that's a Hall & Oates reference. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. And Adam Thielen maybe needs to work on some dance moves, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge uh, when we get there. So 25% of, uh, of the pie goes to those two. By the way, those two are the number one and number two wide receivers through four weeks from uh, Pro Football Focus. Oh, really? Across the whole NFL? Across the whole NFL. Wow. Number one and number two. Justin Jefferson also being number one. It's amazing. Interesting. Okay. So those are the, your top yeah. two wide receivers in the league right now. Woo. And then the final piece of pie, uh, 30% to Dalvin Cook, because everything starts and finishes with Dalvin Cook. I'm not a fantasy football dude, but if you have him, good for you, because I got him at He's like the top back in the league right now. Even with the Vikings getting off to a slow start, he finds his way in the end zone. He's gone over 100 yards. The guy's an absolute beast. So going over the pie chart of praise again, Kirk Cousins, 20%, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, 25%, and then Dalvin Cook gets the largest piece of the pie at 30%. Dalvin Cook is indeed by 90 yards the top rusher in the NFL it's so by far 90 this now. year. Okay. 424, the next He's closest. Great. Nick Chubb has 335. Keep give him the football. Yeah, man. Uh, there, there's one thing quickly I would like to bring up from what O'Brien did, but it's not uh, to it's not to rip O'Brien more. But as a football fan, I would like to call, if I could have picked up my cell phone after the game, and called Football Welfare Services 
I would have liked to to get Deshaun Watson out of Houston. No I think this guy's really good, and I really like him. And when he's going well, like he is a guy who, who can transform games, um, that is malpractice there, you guys. Like, watching that is really sad. He is He's too good to be playing on this team for this guy in particular. Like, his skill set should get you off your couch, and he looked lost, and I probably just don't blame him. I felt really bad for a guy who should be like a top 10 type of star, I think, in the league. I don't like him as much at $40 million, though. Oh, That's sure. the thing. Like, he's... But don't you like want to watch him do great things? I, I ordinarily do. do. And it's like, this guy right now, I don't think he knows which way is up, and I think that's probably his coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I so, feel bad so, for him. So his contract doesn't really start to bloat until 2022. Mm-hmm. That's when the $40 million cap number kicks in. And so he's still, he, this year and next year, He's still a reasonably priced quarterback, especially for how good he is at at ten million dollars and sixty million dollars. And I think not that I give a rip about the the Texans, but if you if you do give a rip about the Texans, it is pretty sad to see that his rookie contract and the window to build a great team around him is going to expire. Mm-hmm. And then in two thousand twenty two, you're probably going to have a whole new GM, front office coach, and their job is going to be take a guy who's making forty million dollars and build a roster around him. So. Sorry, Texans. It's it's tough luck. For I don't like red star red red zone stars being ruined. Like Deshaun <laughs> Watson should be a must red zone watch, and right now he's not close. Yeah. So it's rough. So, the right, Rock so knows there it is. How you feel about pie? Those are your uh, pie charts of praise for a Vikings win. Let's just segue into nitpicks here. Okay. So what we're going to do is when they when they lose, we'll do our pie chart of blame, and then we'll do silver linings. There haven't been that many silver linings so far in the losses, but uh, I guess the silver linings have been tank, tank for Trevor. Justin Jefferson last week in the loss to the Titans, huge. For sure. If, and Dalvin if you're Cole. on the tank for Trevor bandwagon, that was a brutal victory for you yesterday. And I am kind of on that bandwagon. I, I think they're probably going to regret that win yesterday from a franchise perspective, but we'll see how the That win to me out. felt a lot like, if you go back to the uh, 2011 3-13 and debacle, it felt a lot like the Cardinals win, though. Inevitable. Don't win the games where you probably are going to lose and then win. Mm-hmm. Like Houston stinks. They just don't. And they 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 honestly fit the bill to me in week four, you guys. Fit the bill. Uh, of not caring. Like they didn't give a damn. Like yeah, those players were, did not care. They they were <laughs> they looked like tackling was way too much for them. Yeah, it was uh it was a it was Calvin a Cook was it, good, but my God, he's like literally pushing guys off like it's a movie. It was a get-your-coach-fired type of a game. So, uh, All right, nitpicks. Nitpicks. Vikings won, but there's got to be some things to, to nitpick. Judd Zolgad. All right, uh, mine, mine came in what should have been a winning, tra- winning time drive late in the fourth quarter by the Vikings. Uh, Dalvin Cook got early in that drive, 12 yards, 9 and 3, I think, on two carries. And he was at 27 carries or so. Okay. But he's having a monster day. And he's just really damn good at football. And then he came out. And Madison's fine, but we went, Madison, two yards, first down. Okay, that's cool. Cook back in now? No, 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 no. Madison again, no gain. Now it's second down. Madison, four yards. Now it's third down. Third down goes to the knit of of Cousins' throw to Thielen, the go route down the left side, being a little bit short, being broken up, and bingo, Houston's got the ball back. But my feeling on Cook, and I know he got shaken up, but he came back in after that. My feeling on Cook is if you're going to go all in, you know what? 
27 carries, 30 carries, really. So my nit was I would have given the ball back to Dalvin when they gave it to Madison because I think he would have stood a very good chance of putting you in third and short. And on third and short, our guy Kirk can handle that fine. Also, so a couple things on Dalvin Cook. 27 carries was a career high. His long rush in that game was 15, so he didn't have any huge runs. It was just a steady diet of six, eight, four, nine, fifteen, and that's how you get 130 yards on 27 carries without without a big run um, busted. All right, Declan, your nitpick. Well, it's going to be if the Vikings are ever going to want to win a game, you can't, you can no longer rely on the defense to do it. Like in the Mike Zimmer era, right? We've always had this security blanket, and at least from what I have remember from Zimmer is if we're on defense. It's for like the first time in my lifetime that I feel like, hey, we can put the clamps down and we can actually win this game. They're, they're going to shut down the opposing offense. That era is gone. And it might come back. It might come back in 2021 and 22. And I saw Cam Dantzler, I think, got a pretty positive grade from PFF yesterday for his overall play. But in general, Holton Hill, Jeff Gladney, like guys, this is going to be a very long season on defense. I think we all thought, worst case scenario, the Vikings defense was going to be like average between 20 and 15th in the NFL, right? No, it's been an absolute gong show through four weeks. And yes, Deshaun Watson's very good, but my nitpick says you can no longer rely on this defense to give you any type of stability towards the end of the game because most likely they're going to get stuffed or they're going to get absolutely smoked. And it, that, that's probably what I'm most worried about going forward is if the, if the opposing team has the ball in the last two minutes of the game, it's going to be brutal. Here's why I'm not concerned, though. I don't think, to what you said at the outset of your nitpick decks, I don't mm-hmm. think it's a long-term problem. Okay. Pierce comes back. Barr comes back. Hunter, I would hope, and we, we can certainly discuss that, comes back. Uh, your corners develop. So I actually don't see this as – it's a 2020 problem, no right. question, and they're not good. Right. Um, but it's not like, oh, my God, they lost all of these players and it's done. And I do contend, and I will I will defend the Vikings and Zim and pound the table until people listen. I do contend the day that Michael Pierce opted out changed the entire thing. Because the success of what Mike likes to do on defense starts there. Like, that's the core guy, right? Now he's gone. Big deal. But, yeah, I think in 21, I think, not that they'll come back and be a top three, but I do believe that there will be a, a strong rebound-based on who's going to come back. So my nitpick is that they won the game. <laughs> they won the game. <laughs> They're not going to beat Seattle. They're not going to beat Green Bay after the bye week. <laughs> they could beat Atlanta in a couple weeks. But like that, oh, this, if, if this win, I didn't see this coming. If this win. <laughs> Gets them to like five and eleven instead of four and twelve or three and thirteen, and they miss out on their chance to change their franchise. And I'm going to keep saying it and draft a quarterback for the next ten years. Then they're going to regret this. Like you point out, they had a chance. They could have. They could have drafted Andrew Luck if they had just avoided yeah. one extra win or whatever it was. Oh, you know, eight or nine years ago. Yeah. And so I just don't know. Like, yeah, you, you feel it's kind of a short term sugar high. All right, the offense looked great. We got some weapons. This is awesome. Okay, well, okay, if it's the difference between like seven and nine and eight and eight, and you're going to get to the playoffs, and all right, maybe anything can happen. It's a weird pandemic year, and there's really no home field advantage. Uh, all right, like I could listen to that argument, even though I'd I'd rather this team go three and thirteen than eight and eight. I just I'm I'm so sick of middle of the road eight and eight, ten and six, nine and seven. 
either be great and be a Super Bowl caliber team or be god awful and draft a franchise changer. And this win just moves you closer to middle of the road NFL. All right. So I, there it is. I've, I said it. My nitpick is that they hilarious. won the game. <laughs> that is hilarious. I mean, a part of me was sitting there toward the end of the game. Hold on. A especially second. when Will Fuller caught that pass. It looked like the Titan, it looked like the Texans were going to have a two point conversion and tie the game. Yes. I'm sitting there kind of like, yeah, all right. This is, I mean, if, the, if this happens, you can blame it on a young defense. You can blame it on, you know, rookie cornerbacks. And you still have the feel good of Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook. There's still enough good stories to tell here and developmental things happening. And uh, and and you lost anyways to get to 0 and 4. Now the, I guess the good news is in the in the Tankathon rankings, I believe it's the Dolphins that would get the Texans pick, yes. and they're not drafting a quarterback because they have Tua. So of all the teams that you're sort of jockeying for position for draft for draft position, that's a team. What would the Miami, Giants and Jets that, do? Doesn't threaten me. Because the Giants and Jets are almost certainly both going to get high picks. But is Darnold, I mean, Jones, Daniel Jones, would he be considered done after, what, two years? I don't know. Like, that's a really interesting conundrum there. Yeah, it kind of depends on, you know, if they bring in, in for the Jets, for instance, if if and when they fire Adam Gase, if yeah. a new coach comes in and says, yeah, Sam Darnold, I don't know, not really feeling him as a franchise guy, <laughs> then, then they might draft Justin Fields or something. I could see that. So, all right, those are your Vikings nitpicks. <laughs> They Did you won. get me? Out? They won. Come on, I think there's a lot of people that feel like me. Yes. Too. Oh, I don't disagree. I just think it's so great. It's, it's just hilarious because I didn't see it coming as a nitpick. I'm thinking to myself, Dalvin Cook didn't get the ball. You're, you're like, they shouldn't have won the game. That's an awful win. Those those SLBs, terrible win. Um, all right, quick a quick shout out to uh, Vikings Ventline again. If you are wondering, hey Vikings Ventline, people have asked, you know, is it is it? So it's it's. It's not on the radio like it has been in the past few years. It is podcast on demand on the Purple Daily podcast feed, and it's live on Score North social media and on YouTube.com slash Purple Daily podcast because we wanted to turn it into an actual video and visual show where we bring fans into the show like we have for the first four weeks. It's been great. Like some, We've got some regulars already that are jumping in on a weekly basis. So. I got Chancey. Chancy new location every game this season. Yeah. Stay away from pumpkin those patch yesterday. Stay away from those horses, man. I, I don't like those. Declan, the horses weren't going to come through the you never know. screen I, and get you. It's 2020. See that happen. Wow. Yeah. Freaks me out. Definitely. Dalvin Cook. He's going to get a first down. And Dalvin Cook pushes his way toward the end zone. I'm proud of how you know we came down here after the week, threw us a curveball, and Got a win on the road and, and um, you know, was, was able to, you know, put it all together as a team. So, um, you know, just proud of, uh, proud of our team. And, and there's certainly things we can improve on. Uh, you got those throws that, that you want back. But uh, all in all, I thought it was a pretty efficient performance. Football. All right, let's, uh, let's get into the things we learned on NFL Sunday here, gentlemen. Let's just go around the room and let's fire up some appropriate music here as well. Judd Zolgad. Something you learned on NFL Sunday. All right. Um, I, I will stay within the NFC North division. The Bears quarterback situation <laughs> is just a mess. I mean, Trubisky's terrible, yes. But Nick Foles, if you take him out of Philadelphia, it goes all, all wrong. He got the starting job. Just watching the snippets of the passes he attempted to throw on Sunday, my God, I have no idea where the ball was supposed to be going, but I don't think it was headed in the direction of, you know, his teammates. Uh the Bears QB 
situation. I don't know if it's going to get Nagy fired, but like they didn't fix it, and and I don't know what the next choice is. If they if uh, Foles plays as bad as he did Sunday, do you eventually go back to Trubisky? But that seems futile, correct? So I have learned that as bad, God bless them, as bad as the Vikings QB situation might be at times, and it's not a complete mess now, but it has been a mess at times before, the Chicago Bears are your best friend in the division because they always got your back. It's always worse in Chicago, it seems like. <laughs> it's hilarious, man. Like it, It doesn't matter if it's a rookie that they drafted high in the first round, a Super Bowl MVP, right? Nick Foles is a Super Bowl MVP, right? Yeah. If it was he won the MVP, Philly, yeah. Philly special. If it was Jay Cutler, just a, a a big arm, big you know trade acquisition, their offense always looks like this. It always yeah. looks like this. Why can't they think about all the different teams in the NFL? Even the Cleveland Browns, a couple times in the last twenty years, have stumbled into a high powered offense that you know that puts up points. I mean, yesterday. The, the Browns put up 49 points or whatever it was and ran the ball for 300 yards, which is we'll get to. But the Bears can't even stumble into one big offensive season where, well, the Bears offense, oh, they're going to hang 40 on you every week. <laughs> Greatest show on turf, right? Like they can't stumble into it once in 50 years. So it is Slowest show on grass. That's <laughs> yeah. the Bears Four offense. Mine go hand in hand. Um, number one, are the Browns legit? Are they honestly legit? Because they have a ton of weapons. We were talking yesterday, like, who has a good surplus of weapons, just like the Vikings do in Thielen and Jefferson and, and Dalvin Cook and Kyle Rudolph? Honestly, we know the Browns have had weapons for years now. Odell, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb's very good. But can Baker rise up? Do they have the right coaching staff in place? And I, I'm I'm trending to, I think they do. I think they're, they're they look pretty damn good through four weeks. And I guess the other side of the coin is, did we also overrate the Cowboys because the Cowboys' offense looks fine, I guess. I mean, Dak Prescott's throwing for like 500 yards every game. But are the Cowboys also not as good as we thought they were? And are the Browns actually legit? The Cowboys, uh, someone put a graphic up. I think it was Dan Orlovsky this morning on Get Up on ESPN. that the Cowboys' offense is deceiving because they rack up a lot of those yards in the second half trying to come back. They are the furious rallies of the NFL. Kirk time. And that's how Dak Prescott throws for 500 yards on 58 throws. But... The Browns have a lot of things in place. They just need a better quarterback because Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is just kind of a game manager. They're trying not to let him throw more than 20, 25 times. And yesterday they ran the ball for three hundred seven yards, a Dallas Cowboys record for rushing yards allowed. But Kevin Stefanski becomes the third Browns coach since nineteen ninety five to start three and one. Bill Belichick was one of the other ones. Okay. So they just haven't had great starts ever in Declan's lifetime. So Kevin Stefanski, we'll see if this can be sustainable, but it looks like he has taken these ingredients and has done something very good with them in Cleveland. So I feel like four weeks in that the Browns are a definite red zone must watch. Like yeah. They're fun. But I feel that they are also, at this point in time, pretty much like a quick fling. Like, I'm curious to see, is this a relationship that we are going to see and, like, this is going to um, track to that they play well into the winter and Baker plays well? I have no clue. Or is this a high-flying show that the team's defenses are going to start to figure out? I don't know yet, but they are fun, which is something you cannot say about the new Cleveland Browns very often. Couldn't tell if you were talking about my love life or the Cleveland Browns. But, yeah, it's a fling that couldn't materialize into something. Who knows? And then, you know, it's great on Friday, done on Tuesday. It's okay. (laughs) Football. Good dig if you can get it. 
Giggity, giggity. I learned that Teddy Bridgewater yes, is dude. back to his old ways of being accurate and winning games. So Carolina has now won two games in a row on the road against the Chargers, and then they beat Arizona. Arizona coming back to earth a little bit, but that's still a pretty good team. And the, the Panthers are now 2-2. Two and two. Teddy Bridgewater on the season, 73% completions. Good for him. And he also ran the ball for a winding 18-yard touchdown, which I think had a lot of people holding their breath. But he looks like he's, from a mental standpoint, he's, he seems very far removed from the catastrophic injury. And he's uh, he's just putting up solid Teddy numbers in Carolina. Yep. So it's fun to see. It's very Teddy-like. It's great football. I love it. Great story. No McCaffrey either. I mean, the last two is yeah. no McCaffrey. Great point. Hmm? Judd, any other observations? Oh, yeah. You? Oh, no, no, no. I got more. <laughs> I learned this. If you didn't like the Vikings victory over the Texans, which my partner did not, just wait a weekend. Because the Vikings are going to play the Seahawks on Sunday night in Seattle, right? Did you guys see that the headset for Russell Wilson won out in the uh, Seahawks-Dolphins game on Sunday? Hmm, hmm. And Russell started to call his own plays. Oh, I love it. And, of course, the Seahawks scored a touchdown. Okay? So if you're worried about, wow, I, I don't know about this Vikings team. Could they be back? Are they going to goof up the the uh, potential for a high draft pick? The Vikings might score some points because the Seahawks' defense leaves something to be desired. But that being said, Russell Wilson, man... I mean, think about this. It's 2020. Supposedly, offenses are too complicated for even the smartest human to comprehend. You have to hear the call and digest that and then run the play that you're instructed to. No, 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 no. This guy walked up to the line of scrimmage or into the huddle and basically said, here's the play we're going to run, and they scored a touchdown. I don't know why, like, like for a guy that's been in the league for eight or nine years, that shouldn't be that complicated. I like, agree, you know, but it's the it same is. offense. It's it, he's one of the best. Well, what's quarterbacks the plays? To ever like, live. how how many plays can you possibly call in each given situation? Too, it's got to be X amount of plays, right? Sometimes I feel like the Seahawks just call the hey. uh... Pass protect as long as you can. Receivers <laughs> just kind of run around and find an opening, and then I'll just deal with the rest. Yeah. That's that's a very common Seahawks play. Anyway, that was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Football. I keep barking up this tree, and until it happens, I'm going to keep nitpicking it and uh, and, and, and being upset about it. If you're going to use Jalen Hurts, can we not use him in a wildcat formation like Philadelphia was doing yesterday? If you're going to bail on Carson Wentz, just please bail on him and let him give this dude a chance. I want to see what Jalen Hurts can do. I hate wildcat formation. It's so predictable these days. I don't know. I know the Eagles got their first win. And they're now in first place in that putrid division of the NFC East. Ooh. But man, I, what? And, and Carson Wentz, okay, somewhat of a defense that his wide receivers are awful. He has not a lot of help there. But I don't know what. I think the dude's broken, man. I don't know what to make of him. That was a weird game last night. It was very Nick strange. Mullins, oh boy, very strange. What was that interception that Mullins threw at the oh end? Oh my the pick God, six? Pulled. What was he seeing? Yeah. Um, well, twice, right? Not the guy with the green helmet. Up? Yeah. That was super weird, though, because yeah. how. You'd have to look through the linebacker <laughs> to find your receiver. Yeah. I didn't get it, man. It was awful. It was pretty bad. Rex Ryan this morning on ESPN said, was he point shaving? What, yeah. what was he wow. doing? It was uh, football. All right, final observation. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Buffalo Bills are for real. Nice. I had to, that was in my notes, too. Yeah. Legit, I, mean, I used. They're yes. 4-0. Josh Allen Two more touchdowns yesterday. Here are Josh Allen's statistics on the season. He's 4-0, 71% completions. He's thrown 12 touchdowns to one interception. 
And he's averaging 331 yards per game. He's also uh, very mobile, and Mm -hmm. he has run the ball this season for three touchdowns, 83 yards and three touchdowns. So he has accounted for three rushing touchdowns and, what did I say, Uh, and 12 passing touchdowns. So 15 touchdowns accounted for for Josh Allen. And Stephon Diggs is a big part of that. I think he's a big part of the productivity and also just sort of the the, vibe. the attitude, the swag, Agreed. if you will. Yes. And the Buffalo Bills and their defense is good enough, too. He's legit, man. I, I think the Bills right now are what the Vikings wanted and want to be, right? Yeah. Defense is solid. Yeah. Offense is of, good. And a lot of people, including us, could wind up owing Josh Allen a big-time apology. Because I think the the sentiment on this show was... Listen, Stefan Diggs thought he was unhappy with Kirk Cousins throwing in the ball. Wait till this guy starts sailing passes over his head. Well, he's he may not be the most accurate thrower, but Stefan Diggs doesn't. Stefan Diggs probably has the most, I would say, uh, wide or uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. His catch radius is very, very wide. I guess. Yeah, I would say you can haul him in. So. I've had a bad week though, or a bad few weeks. So I've got Allen who I definitely thought was a bust, and I was wrong. <laughs> Stefanski, who I basically claimed was the Vikings' pool boy for Koobs, <clears throat> and has turned out to be good, at, aside from Koobs. And in fact, might have been turns out a Coob, focal Coob, point. Turns out it was yes. weekend at Bernie's. And- and, yes. No, don't say that. No, no, no. Koobs has had some health problems. Don't say that. But yeah, and then Jimmy Butler. I really have some serious egg on my face these days. <laughs> Well, there's still time left. And sometimes September, like early October football can be deceiving. We've seen teams get off to hot starts before. Oh, yeah. I think there's a legitimate discussion this week, probably on Purple Daily. Cheap plug, Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com if you want to find our deep dive Vikings discussions every day. If the Vikings beat Seattle, because someone brought that up yesterday. I think it was Dave in South Carolina on Ventline yesterday brought up. Watch, this will be the one season where they freaking beat the Seahawks. Like every other year where they're contenders... But if they beat the Seahawks, does it show that the Vikings really have actually turned the corner and become contenders? I think I think that's a question to be okay. Fair enough to be asked on Purple Daily at some point. But that's your trip around the NFL. Football. Things we learned on NFL Sunday. But since you mentioned it, Jimmy Butler, LeBron on him in the front court, high screen coming up here by Crowder. Now he'll go against Morris Butler, against Morris off the glass, up and in. Jimmy Butler with forty points. 12 assists, 10 rebounds, two blocks, two steals. What else can he do? I mean, it's competition at its finest. Um, I think LeBron has got the best of me way too many times. Um, I respect the guy for it, um, but this is a different time now, a different group of guys that I have around me, and um, we're here to win. We're here to compete, but we're not going to lay down. We're going to fight back in this thing, even up 2-2. We go back, what what was... The yeah. background noise here. I'm going to play yeah. this again. Is it the color commentator guy? I, I think it was. Jimmy the, Butler. What was it? I think it was like the. I know there's no fans there, but I feel like it was the in arena guy in the bubble. That's what I'm guessing. Or it could be another radio feed or another broadcast is picking up. But I didn't hear any of that while watching the game on TV. Let's just play it. Jimmy Butler. LeBron on him in the front court. High screen coming up here by Crowder. Now he'll go against Morris Butler. Against Morris off the glass, up and in. Jimmy Butler with 40 points, 12 assists, 10 rebounds, two blocks, two steals. What else can he do? Is it? 
What's the maybe that, it's the Miami broadcast? Like the, that was definitely not happening on TV. So what's this, the broadcast they, from though? This one, clip? Miami Heat Radio Network, probably. It's from our weekend guys. Okay, we should probably source those. Yeah, yeah. Okay, ESPN <laughs> Radio maybe. Because, but but what I love is the guy starts singing, right? Yeah, that was weird. Like, there's just a, weird. I love it. Anyhow, I like to watch games like that with singing in the background. One of the greatest performances in NBA Finals history: a forty-point triple-double on better than seventy percent shooting, which has only been done like five other times in NBA history in the finals. And Will Chamberlain has like three of them. Yep. So, a two-part question here: Do you miss Jimmy Butler in Minnesota? And are you envious? So that's question number one. And were we wrong about Jimmy Butler? I uh, called him a fake superstar at one point. Okay. Uh, on question one, yes. No no doubt. You miss him. Envious? Hell yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is what this is what Tibbs envisioned, right? A this grinder guy, team. Yeah, yeah, just coming in and, and um, taking it to teams and not giving a damn. I love it. Uh, the second part. It's a little harder to unpack for me because was I wrong about his abilities? I think I was. I thought he was really good. Did I think that he was good enough to get a triple-double against a LeBron James team in the finals? No, that'd be pushing it by a lot. If if you had come to me and said, no, Judd, he's this good, I'd be like, I don't think so. I would have been wrong. Um, but here's my thing. I still can't get past the fact that I don't think the way he went about his business here was the right way to do it. Like, do I do I love a player like we saw last night, Phil? Yes, obviously. It's great to watch, and he's competitive beyond belief, and, and his team was basically, they're dead, and he comes back and single-handedly leads them back into a win, and he plays great. Th- that's all fantastic, and you love to watch that as a sports fan. But I'm sorry, I'm still hung up on the fact that I don't think he handled himself here in a way that I get. And and here's my last thing. If this had all been based on Wiggins, I'd be like, hell yeah. Yeah, go to it. But do you really look at Cat and say, well, I'm going to lump him in the same way and he's really weak. And I, I look, I understand, folks, he's not Butler mentality-wise. I completely get that. But I can't just totally go to the other side of the opinion now and be like, Cat deserved that, and they should have traded Cat. I can't manage to get myself there. And maybe it's a me problem, but I can't do it. There's so much to unpack here. <clears throat> I'm glad we're unpacking it because yeah. this is therapeutic in many Play ways. Play the too. therapy music right. if we have it. Do we have therapy music? I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can dig up. What therapy music are you talking about? Something soothing. Do we have something soothing? I feel like we need something soothing. We're we're conflicted right now. We're like, in our own heads. Like meditation music. Yes, or something? we're in our own heads right now. <laughs> so, I do miss Jimmy Butler. I do miss the fierce, all-in competitiveness. And I was wrong to call him a fake superstar. My 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 point of contention with Jimmy when he forced his way out of Minnesota was that in his head he thought he was Kobe Bryant. Like if 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 you were to just you know, crack open Jimmy's brain and try and get inside of it and and see, like, who who does he think he is? He thinks he is LeBron, Jordan, Kobe, but then you look at the productivity and he's really, really good up until this year, but he's not on that level. Like, he wasn't going to be the guy that carried a team to a championship like a LeBron or a Kobe, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That was my opinion of Jimmy a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of felt like if he wants to be the man on a team, it'll just – 
be a series of first and second round, maybe conference finals oustings from the NBA playoffs. Well, this is such a different year, and you could maybe argue that in a year in which you had full arenas and like if, if the Milwaukee Bucks didn't have to pause their season for three months, that it, maybe Jimmy Butler sort of took advantage of a loophole in the system to get to where he's gotten to. But that game last night solidified me being wrong about him as a fake superstar. A fake superstar doesn't, with, with two of their best players out, a fake superstar doesn't go for 40 and a triple-double and shoot 70-plus percent and go at LeBron on basically every play, offensively and defensively. So I was wrong about the fake superstar part. The thing that I think about the most is I, I loved the idea of Cat and Jimmy Butler as sidekicks. When that trade happened, like the thought of, oh, my God, Jimmy Butler finally getting that secondary superstar that's going to be healthy and efficient, and he's going to help him grow. And I fell in love with sort of what's happening in Los Angeles right now. You've got, you've got your elite big man who can shoot threes and grab rebounds. And then you've got your elite wing perimeter player, mm-hmm. almost a diet version of what the Lakers have with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Like I thought the Timberwolves were going to have that. And it pissed me off the way Jimmy walked in and basically said, wait a second. You guys are like two or three years away minimum from a, from a maturity standpoint, a roster standpoint. There was a report from Bleacher Report last year for, from somebody uh, that said Andrew Wiggins, actually it was Bobby Marks, that, that Wiggins' contract extension and him making $35 million was like the root of Butler's unhappiness and all those things like, well, just get rid of, okay, find a way to get rid of Wiggins. You find a way to mesh with Cat. Be patient for a year or two. Sign an extension and let this thing play out. Yep. And it's like Jimmy came in and said, whoa, this house is not in order. These guys are way too soft and way too young. And rather than be patient and grow with it and help Carl Anthony Towns, he just said, I want out. I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to I'm not going to like wait 45 minutes for my meal to be served. I want my meal right now. And that bothered me because mm-hmm. I still think about the idea of Cat and Jimmy Butler and I think in a different world in a different universe or if those guys were, you know, maybe more similar in age and kind of coming uh, coming up together what those guys could do. And so I watch what what's happening with the Heat and the way that Jimmy has embraced the young guys, Tyler Hero and and Bam Adebayo. Like it's hard to watch that and not look over at Cat and be like, well, wait a second. You're amazing, and you're a great player, and they definitely made the right decision to build around you. And by the way, Tom Thibodeau was the wrong coach to try and handle any of this situation. If it was Eric Spolstra, Which is funny. it might have worked. Um, but it's hard not to look over at Cat and be like, wait a second. Um, why didn't this work? Like, We used to blame Jimmy for you know 95% of it, but I would shift my blame more toward probably Cat's immaturity and inability to sort of um, rise to the moment, if you will. Mm-hmm. But there's there's certain things we're just never going to know the full story on. Now, now the, the thing that we're not talking about that's the most interesting dynamic probably of this entire conversation is twofold. One, Butler doesn't come here without Tibbs here, and Tibbs being here was actually a detriment to everybody, okay? So that's one, which is very odd, because no other GM or coach would have acquired Butler from the Bulls. Tibbs got him because Butler was his guy. The second part is, keep in mind, Jimmy goes to the Sixers, and the same sort of thing happens, which means that in Miami, the, the no pun intended here, the climate is perfect for Butler to basically have it his way and run the team to, to a degree that a player can, and it, that's partially in part because Spolster's there, who's fantastic, and Riley is great as well. So, so 
the gamble that you would have had to take with the Wolves if you had been, if let's say Tibbs had gone to Butler and been like, you know, Jimmy, you're right. These guys, they're not mature. And literally had just said to him, what should I, what do you want me to do? Okay. The gamble there is if we had found out about that, you would have literally been putting the franchise in Jimmy's hands completely, including personnel moves. Okay. Phil, to what you're saying about Butler and you're being wrong now, but at the time it seemed like a correct statement. I don't know if I would have been willing to take that gamble when I have a cat on my team. If Jimmy had said, I can't play with him and he's not going to change. Jimmy also had major injury issues too. Yes. Throughout but his my career point, my and po- some knee problems with the team. But my point is this is a more complicated discussion than, than I'm sure some folks saying, well, Look at what Butler is doing in Miami. Yeah. If you had just transplanted that back here, we'd be in the fight. So yeah. it's, I, I think it goes much deeper and is a very, very intricate discussion about one, who's in charge of the team at the time, and two, if you would have been basically given the Timberwolves keys to Butler and said, you decide who stays, you decide who goes. And by the way, if you decide Cat goes, we're okay with that. Yeah. There were, I, I think... There were just there were a few different issues to, to parse apart when you go back to the to the Jimmy and, and Timberwolves era. Number one, Jimmy Butler reportedly did not like Andrew Wiggins' contract and thought it was a hindrance to building a roster and getting the guys that he wants to to come in. Right. Well, as we found out, that that turned out to be a pretty easy fix. The Timberwolves offloaded Andrew Wiggins, not only his whole contract without having to attach like a first round pick to it. They got D'Angelo Russell in return. Yep. So they got a they got a better player, a flawed but better player in return, and somebody that just has a just has a little bit more well, I'd say a lot more upside and a little bit more uh, dog in them than Andrew Wiggins had. So that's that was fixable thing number one that Jimmy was like, I'm out on this. This, this, this guy makes thirty five million. This is ridiculous. How are we going to get players in here? The other thing that the Jimmy and Cat relationship, you bring up, you bring up Jimmy Butler in Miami. I think what what. Um, Rachel Nichols reported last night from a conversation with Jimmy Butler. I think it's so important to highlight here and that she reported Eric Spolstra allows Jimmy Butler more say and listens and implements more things from Jimmy's side than any coach that Jimmy has played for in his career. Rachel reported that based and she said directly, Jimmy told me this directly, Eric Spolstra, what do you think about it? And and immediately Spolster was like, well, I don't know if that's true because he doesn't want to throw Tom Thibodeau under the bus, right, or uh, anybody else under the bus. Absolutely. But to me, the Heat have created this perfect, credible culture of Godfather Pat Riley, uh, Eric Spolstra with championship ring credibility and ego management credibility, and they have said, Jimmy, some people view you as a pain in the ass. We just love your competitive spirit and fire. There's going to be things where we check you on, like last night. Eric Spolstra is standing on the sidelines and he's got to get Jimmy Butler out of the game just to give him a breather because he knows that Jimmy's going to, like, Jimmy can't play 48 minutes. He's got to give him a couple minutes of rest here and there. And so he, he sends a sub in and calls Jimmy back to the bench. Jimmy Butler said, no, I'm not coming out. And Spolstra said, yes, you are. And Spolstra wins the argument. So it's this amazing, perfect blend of Jimmy respects the general manager on down to the coach but also the general manager and the coach respect Jimmy enough to listen to his ideas and some of the things he wants to implement. 
And then I think the other thing, like the players on the roster that are younger, and this is this is another report that came out of Philadelphia that sometime in the last few weeks that Jimmy Butler loved and respected Joel Embiid and his mindset and his dog, right? But not so much Ben Simmons. Similar in Minnesota. I think Jimmy Butler loved Tyus Jones because he had that grit, right? Mm-hmm. But not so much Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. And so if Jimmy senses that you don't have the same level of go and fire and dog that he does, he can't work with that. And that's what bothered me about the Minnesota thing. It's that if he would have been able to give a little bit more and be a little bit more patient, mm-hmm. the cat-Jimmy thing could have played itself out, maybe to a level of being a title contender once we got to this point, like three years later. But he never gave it a chance. And honestly, like he knew that he was 28 years old at the time of sort of the fork in the road. Right. And he just made a personal decision and said, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to wait three years for Cat to be a mature adult or to be a guy that can grind in a playoff game. I'm sorry. Like, I'm 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 going to go find my now. And it wound up taking him two stops, and we're watching it in Miami. And it, it sucks if you're a Timberwolves fan to watch this. He also needs to be, because I, I will contend that he remains off his rocker, he also needs to be managed correctly which means that that it, it helps because Spolstra's won rings too, but the thing with Tibbs, I feel like I feel like Tibbs was Butler's first girlfriend in the sense that he found a relationship where it was just a continual butting of heads, and and it worked because at the time Butler was young and that's what he liked and knew, and if he got a coach um, like. Hoiberg, he just basically steamrolled said coach, right? But I think by the time the Tibbs got Jimmy here, what Tibbs will not have the ability to do ever is manage people correctly. And I think by the time Butler was 27, 28, he needed to be, he needed to be yelled at, he needed to be pushed, he needed to be pulled. But just as importantly, and this word is going to sound negative, but I don't mean it that way. I think people like Butler need to be manipulated, too, into believing that they're getting what they want at times. And that might be true, and it might not be true. But the perception is the key. And and I think by the time Butler got here, it was still, hey, it's Tibbs, arr, 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 just, just all that crap. Instead of, oh, oh, no, no, I have to turn, I have to manage you differently, and Kat, and Andrew probably, right? Yeah, there's no nuance with Tibbs. Yeah, but no but, there, but with Butler, there needs to be because Butler is basically, in some ways, Tibbs in a jersey. Yeah. And so if you just have two guys battering rams and all they're doing is clashing, 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 well, when Butler's young, that's fine. When he's not young, that, that works for a few months, but you don't have what Spolster brings, which is, uh, I know exactly what I'm doing, Pat. And we can get this guy to do exactly what we want if he's managed correctly, which in part means acting really hard like you care a lot about what he has to say. And you know, if, if you look at the Heat compared to the Timberwolves in terms of developing young players and getting the most out of them, the Heat are a legendarily great franchise at this. You know, Dwayne Wade's a great example. I mean, they took a guy in Dwayne Wade that Dwayne Wade turned into one of the and, and, and he was somewhat hyped and he was a top pick. I get that. But. They absolutely peak maxed out Dwayne Wade's capabilities over the course of 15 years. Bam, same thing. Tyler Hero right now, same thing. There's other examples sort of between those bookends. And so I think part of that is it's talent identification, but also part of it is when they get you in, 
Spolstra is such a great communicator, mm-hmm. and I think, and again, I'm, this is just speculation, but when you compare the two situations and, and the different variables you have, you get Jimmy Butler is the is the common denominator, Miami and Minnesota, right? And then you've got some young, talented players that that Jimmy has to coexist with. <laughs> That's the word I'll use in both. And then you've got the coach and the front office structure. And Miami seems much more adept at saying, all right, listen, Jimmy, I get like Tyler Hero doesn't really play defense yet because he's a rookie. He doesn't know what he's doing. And uh, he's more interested in his Instagram girlfriend over here. But um, we're working with him. And we're working with him on team ball and defense and all these little nuances. And we need you to just be sort of patient. Don't don't rag on him so much in practice. Rag on him a little bit. I think there's that there's that mediator factor that you get with a guy like Spolstra and maybe even with Pat Riley yes. to bridge the two sides. Yes. In Minnesota, and I'm this is not speculation, this is factual and reporting. In Minnesota, Tom Thibodeau was gas on a fire. All right, we've got a disconnect between the veteran Jimmy Butler and between the young guys in Wiggins and Cat. How do I bridge that disconnect? That thought never went through Tom Thibodeau's head. Tom Thibodeau was more, I'm going to browbeat these young players. I'm going to basically just laugh when Jimmy Butler craps on them in practice and in games and in the media. And I'm just going to sort of uh, hope that, I'm just going to give some tough love and sort of hope that these young guys figure it out. I mean, that or or trade them like they did with Zach Levine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, they had to trade Zach Levine to get Jimmy Butler, but my point still stands. Mm-hmm. And so I think a better mediator would have turned this thing in Minnesota into something closer to what you're seeing in Miami. And so I guess if you're dishing out a pie chart of blame for why these things didn't work out, it's probably a third, a third, a third. Tom Thibodeau, young players getting a third for just like not rising to the moment. And then Jimmy Butler getting a third for just not really well, having any patience and any ability to help bridge that gap. And Jimmy Butler would not apologize at all for his third of pie there. And the, I think he's happy about it. This also uh, stems back to the Bleacher Report piece that you were talking about. And the key thing goes back to what? Honest to God, Andrew Wiggins looking Glenn Taylor in the eye and saying, I'll earn that contract. Well, but, I'm going to give you $150 you, million. Dollars, if, you you're back, in the eye. if you went back and undid that day with the circumstances that came about with Butler being here and all, all of that, there is a much better chance. I, I think Butler, I think Butler's way of expressing it was wrong, but it was very, very clear that he had no respect for anyone in the franchise for the most part. And yeah. you know what? With their lack of success, I wouldn't go about it the way that he did, but I'm not shocked by it. Yep. Boy, what a... But it's a therapy session. It really is, especially for you, longtime Wolves fan. I will say, I think... Been beat up one, by the system. We fast forward about five days. I think the Lakers win the title in five. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be tough to bounce back 48 hours. You're not going to have... You know, your Bam is out still. Like, um, I just I just don't think Jimmy's going to be able to duplicate that three more times in this series. But he deserves major credit. That was Great. an unbelievable performance. Uh, real quick, before we wrap for the show here... Uh, breaking wild news Ryan Donato to the Sharks for a third round pick Does Judd's Hockey Show want to do a quick little uh, analysis for us here? So they're just blowing everything up uh, They're basically Dude giving up go. on a guy Yeah, which is fine Which is which is Needed. absolutely time um, The Donato trade is, is a guy that I think Dex and I If I could speak for you quickly, Declan I think we both 
are intrigued by him. Mm-hmm. But he's a guy that Fenton got in the Charlie Coyle trade. And Bill Guerin and the Wild have never seemed enamored with this guy. So I wouldn't say it's blowing things up. I wouldn't even say it's surprising. It feels like it feels to me personally like a slightly premature. I don't understand. I and I know that he's a flawed defensive player, and I know, but he likes to shoot, which, by the way, sounds stupid, but that's important. Um, I would have given him another chance, Declan. Yeah. But given how it's pretty clear Garen feels about this guy, it's not surprising. It's not too shocking. I w- yeah. Would I like to get him a top six role? I would. But right now, you have Kaprizov, you have Fiala, so you have your bu- you have your building blocks, right? Those are your two pieces for the next 15, you know, five to 10 years. And Donato got buried because of that. And yes, he shoots the puck a lot. He had, I mean, the guy had 14 even strength goals, which technically was tied for the team lead last year. And he only played 10 minutes a game. So tough to see, yeah, like giving up on a guy who's 24 and especially with the wild who are still transitioning a little bit. It's not a full on rebuild like it is in Ottawa and Detroit. So it's tough to see him basically give up on a 24 year old who has a lot of high upside, but you knew it wasn't going to work here. And I don't, I don't envision Ryan Donato going to San Jose, and already people are making the comparison. Like, well, now he's going to flourish because now he's going to have minutes. Like, like Brent Burns, he's going to have minutes. He's going to be phenomenal in, in a new role. I don't think so. San Jose is also heading towards a full-on rebuild right now also, too. So them taking a flyer on Donato is good. So I guess if you're looking at the coil trade, you really got a fifth-round pick back from the original trade. And now you're getting a third-round pick, which, by the way, also what's Pittsburgh's pick that they traded to Marlowe. So for Charlie Coyle, you got a fifth-round pick in 2019 and a third-round pick in 2021, now the Wild have five draft picks in the first three rounds of this year's draft, which is pretty big for them. Even though they have historically botched a lot of draft picks, it is good to take a lot of dartboard throws on That's that. Chuck Fletcher, though, not uh, True. Karen. True. So, hmm. I, so I think, you're telling me they got I a lot of good move. So you're telling me they got a lot of picks going to the first round of Tuesday night's draft, huh? They do. They so, do. like, could you package some of those picks, maybe, and I, uh, in I some major could. move, try and move up to grab a center, maybe earlier in the draft than your ninth pick? I mean, I'm just throwing do they it out have there. Enough draft ammo. To do, the, to do said trade? If they put together some players, they very well could. They, 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 they need a center desperately, and I don't know that they're good. There's definitely not one available on the free agent market, Phil. Um, trading for one who's established is extremely difficult. I think your best hope would be to try and move up tomorrow in the first round and try and, and draft one who you can— I'm here who, for it. Who might not be great from day one, but has the potential to be great. And again, I'm with Dex. This is not a full-on— rebuild by the wild but there's definitely some chairs on the titanic being moved i I feel like we have we have a winter a a winter full of with our winter sports teams and then with the twins a winter full of transactions here you're gonna get (laughs) it'd be fun to see the wild make a make a draft day trade or two but i think whether it's free agency the timberwolves are just looking for a third superstar and then the twins have to cut a bunch of payroll and revamp some certain things so this will be kind of a fun two or three month stretch for for this team so all right, well, that's a wrap on Mackie and Judd for today. We appreciate you hanging out with us, and be sure to check out Mackie and Judd videos on the Score North YouTube channel, youtube.com slash MN. Thank you, guys. This holiday, whether you're making a Fred Meyer Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Fred Meyer has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone.